We are continuing the Advent series, and the Advent series started off, it's basically going around the Advent wreath. If you're familiar, uh, you know these candles. Uh, they are hope, love, joy, and peace, the major themes uh, in preparation for the arrival of the king. On Christmas Eve at 6 p.m., hope will have a name, and that will be right here. Uh, Christmas Eve, 6 p.m., right here, and we will have fire. You don't want to miss that. You will have fire. That makes me a little nervous, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, on the 26th is the Sunday after Christmas. We will actually not meet here. We're going to meet on video. So we're going to have a video that releases at 9 o'clock. It'll be on Facebook. It'll be on YouTube. You're like, I don't do Facebook. You can do YouTube. I don't do YouTube. Invite yourself over to someone's house that has YouTube and say, let's watch it together, and I'll bring the goodies. How about that? Is that a fair deal? All right. So uh, that will be on the 26th at 9 o'clock. The video will release. It will stay out there. So if you don't catch it right at 9 o'clock, you can watch it later uh, for a fee. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. See if you're with me. All right. Yes. Uh, there will not be a PJ Sunday this year. Oh, I get what I see what you did there. You can be in your PJs when you watch the video. Absolutely. PJ Sunday was also a word serve tradition last year. Um, so Barbara and I were our PJs and decided that was the end of that tradition because uh, nobody else did. So <laughs> kind of outlived its usefulness, I guess. I don't know. I don't know about you. I like rolling out of the rack and showing up, you know, but whatever. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that, that will be our PJ Sunday. You can watch it on video, and we'll call it good, and then we'll be back uh, as normal on January 2nd. That's a mouthful. But I want to talk a little bit about this season. This season is unique, is it not? Is it one of your favorite seasons? It's one of mine. It's not my favorite, but it's my second favorite. And I want to ask, what is it that makes this season so special? Now, I understand that sometimes people don't think of this as a special season. Maybe they've had some trauma. Maybe they've had some things go on at Christmas that kind of taints the, the meaning of the season. But in its pure, ideal form... This is a unique season, is it not? There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of, I don't know, uh, goodwill to all, you know, peace on earth, all those things that Charlie Brown says. It's just a, a sense of this is how it should be all the time. My biggest disappointment, though, is that it's just a season. And, and even less than that, sometimes it's not even the pure season because so many things pile up. So many people try to do so much and, and our schedules and, and our industry, our advertising, our, all these things pile up and say, this is what you have to have to have the perfect Christmas. But if you ask a woman named Mary who had the first Christmas many years ago, what, what do you have to have to have a real Christmas? It's not much. You just need Jesus. I could stop right there and we could say amen and go home, but I got more time and, and hopefully you got more ear. So we're going to keep going. But I want you to think about what makes this season so special for you. In its pure and ideal form, if you take away the craziness, do you get that sense of peace? Do you get that sense of rightness? Like this is the way it should be. Brotherly love, sisterly love, we take care of one another, all those kinds of things. I, that's that's the, the sense that I get. But here's what, here's what we need to do, I think, today to get a sense of where we've gone wrong in, in this season in particular. See, the season is all about the preparation for the arrival of the Messiah. 
And when we forget that part, we forget what our priorities are. And we begin to lump in other things because society tells us this is what it should be. So I think in order to understand how we prepare for the uh, arrival of this Messiah, we need to go back and look at how they prepared and not for the baby. The answer is not going to be found in the manger. The answer is actually going to be found in this dude, John the Baptist, fashion extraordinaire. Uh, he, he had his own food truck, just served grasshoppers all the time. Uh, he, he was not the most couth individual. He was not even the most accepted individual, but he had it right. And I want to look at what he was saying to the nation of Israel. Understand the context of what he's saying. Israel had been rescued out of slavery miraculously. They had been transported into the promised land. They had built a mass kingdom under David and then Solomon, and they were famous. And then it kind of went south, and they experienced exile at the hands of the Syrians and the Babylonians. And then they had come back under this Roman occupation, and this is where they were when John the Baptist says, look, there's one that's coming. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Let's listen to what he says in Luke 3, 7 through 11. It says, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every root or every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. These are the words of God. They're for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Not exactly the cheery invitation that you were expecting, right? That whole Christmas feels good, feels right thing, and then you got John the Baptist saying this. But let's pick apart what he's saying because it's significant. It's significant to us today. It's significant to us as individuals, and it's significant to us as a culture. Here's why. Look at what he says. When the crowds came to him for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes. That word is not picked by accident. Where did this whole thing that God created go south? Where's the first time we went wrong? The Garden of Eden. Who did it? The snake. He picks that word on purpose. He's basically saying, hey, culture, you are doing exactly what our ancestors did. You have fallen. You have fallen short. You have strayed from God. You brood of snakes. Such a popular guy he was. He also wrote a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Dale Carnegie picked it up and edited it later, but yeah. Uh, so uh, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live you have repented. We use that word repentance a lot, but I'm not sure that we really grasp this context. Repentance literally means to turn away. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to stop smoking. Literally means to turn away. So that's the, the dictionary definition, right? But in, in theo theology, theological terms, to turn away isn't just to, to change one's mind or to change direction. It's literally to turn away from sin and turn towards God. It's to change our moral direction. This is what John is saying, not just to individuals. He's saying that to them, but he's saying it to the entire nation of Israel. 
you are to change your moral direction as a culture. Now, if you think that's a hard ship to steer, yeah, give that a shot sometime. Change the moral direction of a culture. Let me know how easy that is. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a minute. But here's what they say. He's, he's anticipating what they've said, or maybe he's heard it before. Hey, we're safe. We're children of Abraham. And what does that mean? It means when this Messiah comes and makes everything right, we're in. We're already in the club. We're descendants of Abraham. We're the Jewish people. We're God's chosen people. That's all we need. Or is it? See, we, we think, oh, yeah, they were so smug and so all-knowing. But don't we do the same thing? When God asks us to do things that we don't want to do, we say, well, but I'm saved. I have Jesus in my heart. That's all I need. Is it? Yes and no. But stay tuned. We'll talk about that. And now you're uncomfortable, right? Good. All right. <laughs> so it, it, that means nothing. You can't just claim the name and not live the lifestyle. As he says earlier, prove by the way you live, you have repented and turned back to God. And he talks about what happens if good fruit isn't produced. But here's the fascinating thing to me, and this is the pivotal point of this entire passage for me. These people just heard that they're a brood of snakes, that they can't just claim the name, that it's going to, you know, Acts is going to cut down the roots of their tree if they don't produce good fruit. And so they're in this panic. And what's the first thing they ask? What's the most important thing on their mind? What should we do? What should we do? They don't ask, well, what do I need to know? What should I memorize? Who should I know? No, it's what should we do? Because I think even them had a sense that they weren't doing right. They weren't doing what they should have been doing. That's the essence of what this means. Love. Love is not just seeing. Love is not just talking. Love is doing. And that's what Israel has fallen away from. That love attached to doing. What should we do? And John the Baptist answers him. He says, look, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about Matthew 6 where Jesus says, why do you worry about what you should eat and what you should wear? This is what the pagans chase after. God knows what you need and will provide. John the Baptist is providing the provision. Why don't we have to worry about what we eat or what we wear? Because there are people out there who do love like this. If you don't have clothes, we'll help you get clothes. If you don't have food, we'll help you get food. Because we are doing God's love. And when we fail to do God's love, then you have people who don't have food, who don't have clothing, who don't have that peace. Now, is it all about material? No. Hang on. There's much, much more to this. It, we're just scratching the surface. But we'll get there in just a second. What we need to do is to do God's love. And here's the way that it's supposed to work, but here's, here's a, follow this through with me. The way that it's supposed to work is that culture is supposed to shape the individual. Culture shapes the individual. This was God's plan from the beginning. This is why he had a chosen people. He said, you will be my chosen people, Israel. You will demonstrate to the world my light, my love, how to do this love, and this is the way that you will live, and people will be shaped by that. You will shape within your culture people who do my love. That's the way it's supposed to work. 
Unfortunately, when society gets a little twisted, the shaping gets twisted as well. And we begin to produce twisted individuals, and I am chief among them. That's what happens when culture goes south. So how do you fix that? How do you fix an entire culture that has become less than what God desires? Well, sometimes you have to go backwards, and the individual shapes the culture. That's why Jesus came. The culture was so twisted and so off track that it was no longer producing the kinds of individuals that God wanted. So God sent an individual, his son, to shape the culture. Some would argue that that's where we are today. Our culture is twisted. We've lost our way. We're off track. Is it time, word serve, for a group of individuals to begin to shape culture? Or will we allow ourselves to continue to be shaped by our culture? I'll guarantee you one way works better than the other, and I think you know which way I'm going. If we don't stand up, if we don't demonstrate the love of God, our culture is not going to get any better. This is God's desire for us. So maybe God is calling you today. Maybe God has put something on your heart today that you can do to demonstrate the love of God. Not just to demonstrate it for the sake of demonstrating, but to demonstrate it so that they know who God is. Maybe that's what it's all about. When we hear of God's love, it's easy to go, oh, yeah, John 3.16, God loved the whole world, whoever believes is eternal life. We can spout that all off. It's at the end zone in every football game. Some guy without a shirt is standing out there in zero-degree weather with a John 3.16 sign. For God so loved the world. But what does that really mean? Here's a cool trick for your Bible. If anybody ever asks, what does that really mean, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? John 3.16, just put a one in front of it. Go to 1 John 3.16. Check this out. It's like magic. Here's how you know what real love is. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You hear that same theme again? the doing of God's love around some very practical, practical things. Sometimes that's all it takes. But here's the question that I always ask, and man, I wish you all could have been a fly on the wall at last week's men's group. We had a discussion about unconditional love. And, and I could go on for literally two hours, right, Mark? I mean, it was, it was rich. I, I wish we recorded it. But here's what we came up with. Yeah, we're supposed to live unconditionally, and some people think that that has... No limits at all. Yeah, unconditional love may have no limits, but it does have boundaries. And those boundaries are answered by asking, to what end should I love? This is a question that is good to ask if you're looking for why we do what we do as Christians. I'm supposed to love, okay, but love to what end? What purpose? The purpose always draws us back to God. See, Christ's love was selfless. Christ's love was sacrificial. Christ's love was not suicidal. What do I mean by that? Yeah, he gave everything of himself, but it was not for no point. The whole reason that he gave him himself was to point back to God. 
So when we serve, we don't just give to give. We give to point back to God. To what end? To point back to God. So words are going to challenge us in 2022 as we look at how we serve, not just to serve, because yes, people need food. Sometimes that's all they need. Yes, people need clothing. Yes, people need shelter. But they need God. And if all we can do is just provide a meal, then we're just giving them a fish. You know where I'm going with this analogy, right? But if we give them God, we're teaching them to fish. So we can't separate, I don't know, the preaching of the word from the serving of the world. Does that sound familiar? So I'm going to challenge us, Word Serve in 2022, to look at the ways that we serve and to try to do that to what end? To bring people back to God. It's not as hard as we might think. In fact, if the Spirit is in it, it's going to be the easiest thing we've ever done. The simplest thing we've ever done, maybe not the easiest thing we've ever done. So be thinking about ways that you've been called. And this is one of the things I love about WordServe. We do things, faithful kids, Operation Christmas Child, setting records. We are doing service and we are pointing people back to God. But as we expand our reach, I'm going to encourage you to keep doing that. That's, that's what I love about what we do here is we always have those things that we're doing to get God out there. I wonder if there's something that God has put on your heart, though, as we go forward, as we are, are going to launch into a vision process in 2022 and, and analyze where are we as a church? Where are we as a community? What is it that God is whispering to you in those still moments? Because the world needs to see him. The world needs his love, and, and we have it. So let's not be misers with that. Let's absolutely share that love. So when it comes to answering that question that we started with, what is it that makes this season so special? In the pure and ideal form, it's the love of God. It's the love that does. It's a love that's selfless. It's a love that's sacrificial but not suicidal. It's a love that has a point, and the point is we love so that others might know the love of God. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us real love, the real love that sacrificed, the real love that was selfless, the real love that points us back to you. God, remind us that that love is never suicidal and pointless unless we make it so. The gift that has been offered is offered regardless of us, but it's up to us what we do with it. To put that on our hearts, to make you known, to make you famous, and to love like Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.